Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey friends, we wouldn't be here without our sponsors. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of The Savvy Sauce, please reach out to us at info at And today I want to say a big thank you to our awesome sponsor, Lehman Property Management in Central Illinois. With over 1,600 apartment homes in all price ranges throughout Morton, Pekin, Peoria, Washington, and Canton, they can find the perfect spot for you. Make sure you go check them out today online. You can look them up at MidwestShelters.com or like them on Facebook by searching Lehman, L-E-M-A-N, Property Management Company. We'll make sure and link to all of this in the show notes. Thanks for the sponsorship. Today, I get to introduce you to Jana Harkness. Jana is both the Women's Ministry Director and Biblical Counseling Director for the church where her husband is the head pastor, Harvest Peoria. Jana has been married to Tim for 24 years. She's the mother of two adult daughters and a new son-in-law. Although through all of this, she will share how her true identity is as a child of God. Today, we get to hear her story of spiritual growth through various seasons. We learn where to start praying scripture over our family, and she shares some incredible examples of powerful stories she and her husband taught their two daughters. I hope you enjoy this chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Jana. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, for anybody who's listening and doesn't know you already, we'd all want to get to know you better. So can you just share what your life was like before becoming a Christian? Well, I actually became a Christian when I was seven years old, so my life was pretty tame, I would suppose, although I did grow up in a kind of a difficult situation. So even though I became a Christian at a young age, the home that I grew up in with my mom and my stepfather, they didn't take me to church. So I started by taking a bus to church. And then as I got older, I would go with friends. And so even though I became a Christian at a young age, it was kind of a weird situation because I wasn't living in a Christian home. Okay, so you piqued my interest. You started taking a bus to church. How did you even find out about a church that was available? Well, um, actually, I think a friend of mine was taking the bus, so I took it also. And I think my sister, I actually recently asked my sister how she ended up becoming a Christian, and she did the same thing, but we didn't go together. (laughs) So that's kind of crazy. But um, my parents divorced when I was a year old. They met at Bible school, and when they divorced... Um, my mom was really kind of hurt by, felt like the church had let her down in, in a way, or Christianity had let her down. And and my dad continued going to church and stuff, but they were like a thousand miles apart. So, I mean, literally, they, my dad lived in a state so far away from us. So I only saw him mostly during the summer. But when I was with him, he would take us to church. And it was very evangelical. Southern Baptist, you know, so I heard the gospel from him and I saw the life that he had and it seemed like such a calm environment, which of course wasn't perfect, but you don't know that when you're a kid. But I thought, well, I want to know this Jesus too. And so that's actually 
um, how I was interested in knowing Jesus as my Savior and then went to the church, and it was a Baptist church, and they presented the gospel in Sunday school, and I said I wanted to receive Jesus as my Savior. Wow, that's incredible. Seven years old. If you're looking back, how did your life change from that point forward? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would love to say that my life was perfect from that point forward, but we had a rough situation. My mom married a man who had been to Vietnam and was not a believer, and his father was an alcoholic. And so there was a lot of hard stuff that went on in our home. It was a very volatile situation. And um, they separated several times. The first time when it was when I was nine. And then when I was 15, they divorced. They remarried again when I was 16. And then when I was 17, they divorced again. So on the one hand, I would say that my life, I don't know if I would have survived if I didn't have the Lord. But on the other hand, I made a lot of bad decisions. Um, I was hurting and felt like even the Lord didn't really want me and that my salvation was a mistake, that he was kind of like, well, you prayed the prayer, so I'll let you in, but don't bother me. That was kind of my view of God. So the amazing thing is that God never stopped loving me and proving that that wasn't true. And my sophomore year of college, I had gone to visit my old youth pastor. So when they divorced the first time, I grew up in Florida. When they divorced the first time, we moved to Illinois. And I started going to church. And when you grow up in a situation where you're not going to church with your family, you always feel a little bit like an outsider anyway. But there I felt welcomed. But my sophomore year of college... I was visiting my youth pastor, and he told me that if I had died when my mom and my stepdad divorced the second time, that I would have gone to hell because I got angry with God when it happened. And um, and I believed him, which was really dumb. (laughs) I believed, I tell people, I believed a man over the word of God. And God used those next several years to show me that it wasn't the case, and Scripture does clearly say that when you receive Jesus as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance with Him, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and so many other scriptures. And But I really, some people will say, are you angry with Him that He said that? And my answer is no, because I really believe that God used that moment to throw my life out of kilter so that I would stop living a roller coaster life. So over the next couple of years, I questioned God and wrote down all my questions. And through a series of several things that happened, God proved to me who he was, which he had no responsibility to do that, no obligation, but he just loves us. And I was not entitled to that, but he gave it anyway. So the day before I graduated from college, I turned my heart back over to him. And I've pretty much never, I mean, I've messed up since, but I've never turned away from the Lord since. My life verse is from 2 Corinthians 5, 14. It says, the love of Christ controls us. And my prayer is that his love, which we haven't quite achieved that yet, but (laughs) my prayer is that his love will be 
what motivates me in all that I do. And, that, and it goes on to say that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and gave himself for us. And so my prayer is that I would live for him, which means that he's going to be part of every aspect of my life. That scripture is so powerful. How, if somebody's listening today and they want to find or identify their own life verse, could you share with them what your process looked like or any recommendations you would have? You know, I just have a love for God's word. And I believe that that is one of the most important things we could possibly do with our lives is know his word. I don't know science great. I don't have good grammar. (laughs) And there's a lot I don't know, but I definitely want to be so knowledgeable of his word. And so for someone who's looking for a life verse, I would say we're really fortunate in this day and age to have Google. And there are so many times I type in what does scripture say about dot, dot, dot. So if there is something that you really want to focus on in your own walk with the Lord, Google scripture about that subject and you'll find tons of scripture that will line up with that. When one really, really hits you and you feel like, wow, if if I could have this be what defines me by the end of my life, that people could say this about me, then that would be the verse you would choose. I love that. And it gives us something so practical that we can all go home and do today. Let's just look through your spiritual walk. So you became a Christian when you were seven, walked us through a little bit of that, really turning your full heart over even in college. And then you got married. And how did you grow spiritually as a newlywed? Uh, Well, I think you really need the Lord as a newlywed. (laughs) You know, I think one of the best kept secrets is that the first year of marriage can be one of the hardest years. I think um, so many people, they don't want anybody to know that it's hard and marriage is hard. You're two sinners living in the same home. For Tim and me, my husband's name is Tim, we were both fighters and I came from a pretty rough background. He came from a very good home where his dad was an elder in the church. His parents had been married for 55 years now, and uh, he had been through difficult circumstances, but not from blow-ups in his home. But we were two sinners living in the same home and still are after 24 years. So it was probably that I needed to rely on the Lord in order to learn to love him well, and I'm still needing to do that. If he were sitting right here, he might say, yeah, she has a little bit more work to do. (laughs) But learning to get on my knees before the Lord, literally get on my knees before the Lord and beg him for help. And I think one of the things, like I said, I really believed that God didn't want me. That carried through. I mean, I think today, When I get up, there are many times where I struggle with thinking that God's angry with me or disappointed in me, and it's something I have to lay before him every day. So I am a runner, and I had um, big problems with my ankles where I had to wear braces on my ankles for about seven months. Obviously couldn't run during that time. And even though I'm not in braces anymore and I'm running again, I still wake up every day with tight ankles. 
and I have to loosen them up and so that I can walk around. And once I get them loosened, I'm fine. And I compare that to I wake up every day with a hard heart and it needs to be loosened up. And part for me, and this may not be true for everybody, but for me, part of having a hard heart is waking up feeling that God isn't happy with me or doesn't love me or whatever. And so I immediately have to start speaking the truth of his word from the moment I get up. I have to hand that over to the Lord and start speaking the truth of his word over what my feelings are. And that softens my heart so that I can give him the rest of the day. And throughout the day, I need to continue to speak truth. But that definitely affected my marriage early on and probably continues even to today, although it's tons better than it was back then. But when my husband told me he loved me, I didn't hear it. Like mm-hmm. I, I thought for me that it just didn't mean anything to me. And so learning to be able to receive his love and accept that when he says he loves me, he means it. And learning to be able to pray for him and to pray scripture for him and to give our relationship to the Lord. I do have a scripture that I pray for us that I pray lots of scripture for us, but there's one particular passage that I pray that our, I guess if you could choose the life verse for our marriage, the hope and prayer that I have for our marriage it's Romans fifteen five and 6, and it says, um, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's my prayer for our marriage. So that's kind of where I've headed. And I know a lot of people... A lot of women think, well, if we're not praying together at every moment and we're not studying scripture together all the time, then we can't have a spiritually strong home. And to some people's displeasure, I've pointed out the fact that the Bible doesn't require us to pray together as a husband and wife. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. We absolutely should. And I believe very strongly in that. But if your husband is not praying with you, it does not mean that God can't be glorified. And a lot of women also feel like, well, their relationship with God can't be strong unless their husband's relationship with God is strong. But we are individuals. And my relationship with God is not dependent on my husband's relationship with God. And so it's really important for us, I believe, to not put the responsibility of our relationship with God on our husbands, though they are responsible. They stand before God and answer for it. But that's their issue, not ours as women. I just think it's really important for us to recognize that our relationship with God is something that we can pursue no matter what our husband's relationship with God looks like. That makes sense and frees us up to pursue him wherever we're at. Yeah. So then a little bit of a follow-up to that. Do you feel like you and Tim were instantly growing the same way together? (laughs) No, No, not at all. (laughs) And, And I would say it was different. Tim has always had a huge passion for God's word. He was an engineer for a total of 17 years. So probably about 13 of that was our marriage. And then he became a pastor. I would say early on, though he taught in the church and we were very faithful to go to church, it was a little bit more mechanical or more head knowledge for him. 
he'll tell you he grew up in a more of a legalistic environment in his church. And so it was, you just know the Bible and you do the right thing. And somewhere along the way, his passion for the Lord grew to where he understood that it's about worship. His first phrase that he said as the senior pastor of our church was, it's not about my comfort, it's about my king. And that was the first time I had ever heard anything like that. And that was 10 years ago. And there was like the Holy Spirit just jumped inside of me. and was like, yes, that's exactly right. It's not about my comfort, it's about my king. So where he was always much more solid in integrity and just knew the right thing to do, but maybe didn't have that passion for the Lord early on. I had an extreme passion for the Lord, but I did really dumb things all the time and said dumb things and put my foot in my mouth constantly. And sometimes I've gone back to him and said, now, why did you marry me? (laughs) So he said, because I always knew that you had a a desire to follow the Lord. So I knew that you, he was going to work all that stuff out in you. (laughs) He's still working it out, but (laughs) it's gotten a lot better than it was. And you're not giving yourself any credit for everybody who knows Jana. She's so loving and just presents this peace and calm and so many wonderful things we see. Well, thank you. What are some tips then for somebody who is listening? Maybe they're a newlywed and they're not on the same page right now. So do you have any suggestions or best practices that you've learned to help them move in that direction? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The first thing is I would say, pursue your own relationship with the Lord. And pray for your husband and pray scripture for your husband. So with biblical counseling, I talk to a lot of women who they get angry with their husbands for not being the man they expect them to be. And I'll ask them, are you praying for him? And they'll say no, or I don't want to, or I'm praying things that I probably shouldn't pray or, you know, whatever. But they're, they're not dealing with their own heart. They're just judging their husband's heart. And so I would say, make sure you're seeking the Lord, you're pursuing that relationship with the Lord first, and then praying scripture for your husband. A great scripture you can pray for your husband is 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. And it says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let everything you do be done in love. And that is a scripture that I pray for my husband. I pray for my daughter's husband. I've been praying that for my other daughter's husband that we don't know who he is yet, but I'm praying that that's who God is making him to be right now. And it just covers everything, that they would do it in love, that they'll act like a man of God, that they'll be strong, that they'll be watchful so they don't fall into temptation, standing firm in their faith so they're men of integrity. That's something that we can pray for our husbands, and we don't have to sit there and judge them if that's not who they are right now, but entrust him to the Lord and let God lead him. And if he is a guy who's pursuing the Lord, then celebrate that and thank him and encourage him in those things and appreciate that in him and look for the ways that you can be building him up rather than tearing him down. There are a lot of times that we have expectations of what it should be. And so we live with resentment because they haven't met an expectation. But if you look in scripture, the only expectation that we can have is that the Lord will fulfill his promises. 
But when we're looking at other people, we can't expect things of them. And even with the expectation that the Lord will fulfill his promises, it's in the way he chooses to do, not the way we expect him to do. The other thing with that, this may be where I sound a little bit old-fashioned, but I think it is the husband's role to lead in that. And if he's not leading in that, our job is not to stay quiet, but to share our hearts and then entrust it to the Lord. Could you give examples or stories to illustrate what that would look like? Kind of what you're saying it is and what it isn't. Yeah. So I, I'll i have to give somebody else's story. Uh, there's a woman that I'm friends with. She's married to a man who's not a believer. And she became a Christian just in the last couple of years. And it's been amazing to watch her just embrace God's word and She realized that she was angry with her husband, that she was always criticizing him. And she went to him and she apologized for that. And she started just loving him. And she asked him to come to church with her. At first, she kind of pushed him and said, you you have to come to church. I'm getting baptized. You have to come. And he was really put off by that and said, don't shove your stuff down my throat. And so she realized that she needed to back off. And one time she went to him and she said to him, I want you to know that I love you. And this is truly what I believe about the Bible. And I want you to be in heaven with me. And my prayer is that you're going to believe this to be true. But now I'm just going to pray for you. And he ended up coming to church with her soon after that. He's come a couple times, still not there, still praying for his salvation. But we continue to pray and see what the Lord's going to do in his life. But I know that he's a lot closer with her showing him love than he was with her badgering him. And First Peter chapter 3, right after it says about not reviling and not threatening, but entrusting to the Lord, in chapter 3 it says, Likewise, wives, submit to your husbands, so that even if they don't obey the word, they can be one without a word when they see your pure and respectful conduct. So truly, as much as we think it's our words that are going to make the difference, we think we're in control. If we can say enough words, then we can impact and make the difference. And it's really us stepping back and saying, Lord, I'm leaving you to work on his heart and I'm going to treat him with love and respect. And I'm going to pray for him. And when the moments arise, I'm going to pray for opportunities to maybe share what God's teaching me or to say, hey, would you like to come to church with me this Sunday? It's This is a special day because, or whatever. And then if he says no, then you let it go. And if he says yes, then you don't pounce on him with excitement. And it's hard. It mm. is so hard. I mean, it's even hard for a marriage when when your husband is a believer and he goes to church, but he's not really walking closely with the Lord. So even more so when you have this passion for the Lord and he knows nothing about it. So it's understandable that it's hard. And also to have other women that you can go to that are going to pray for you and pray for him that aren't going to say, you're right, he's a jerk, he Mm -hmm. should, whatever, but are going to say, let's look at what the Bible says, let's pray about this, let's see how we can honor God in this, and are going to call you to higher ground. So you've also mentioned, not only are you married, you're also a mom. 
So going back a little bit, how did your life change spiritually? Maybe some of the new challenges and joys that came along once you had daughters. Okay. Well, I was scared to death that I was going to be a terrible mom. And it was really interesting because I had a big temper and I got angry when they were little. And I started just begging the Lord to change my heart. I really don't believe we can change ourselves. Second Corinthians chapter three clearly says in verses 16 through 18, that it's the Holy spirit who transforms us and that we can't transform ourselves. And so I just, I started going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to love my girls. And I started praying also, I love scripture. I started praying Zephaniah 317 for them. It says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He delights in you greatly. He quiets you with his love. He rejoices over you with singing. And I said, Lord, if that's who you are with me, will you help me to be that with my daughters? And so I started praying that I would delight in them rather than getting angry with them, that I would quiet them with my love and not my anger, and I would rejoice over them with singing. And God began to work in my heart. And when they were a little bit older, we ended up homeschooling them. And I kind of say, you know, God uses marriage to make you holy. Then he gives you children, and then you're going to be really holy. And then if he has you homeschool, which I am not the typical homeschooling mom at all. So I was like, this is crazy. But um, I really believed that God was leading us there. And we started homeschooling. And you're with them 24 hours a day. And you have a responsibility to get your heart right with God. Mm-hmm. And so I started wearing scripture around my neck that when I was starting to lose it, I would lift it up and I would read it and my kids would laugh at me and I'd say, you can laugh, but this is saving your life. (laughs) And and I just really handed it over to the Lord. And I mean, you have a responsibility to cooperate with the Lord and when he's leading you to follow. But it was really interesting because it was after we moved here. My oldest was 12. My youngest was nine when we moved here. And we were driving down the road somewhere, and I think it was maybe a year after we moved here. And I started talking to my girls about what God had done in our lives and stuff, and I started to cry. And I said, I'm so sorry for how angry I would get with you. And my oldest daughter said, Mom, I don't remember that. And I was like, I just wanted to bawl and praise the Lord because I really thought, that my kids would grow up and resent me for for the anger that I had had. Because taking them to the grocery store when they're little, I think you should get extra jewels in your crown if you can make it through without getting frustrated. And the Lord worked in my heart and helped me to overcome the anger. And so I was just so grateful for what he had done. So he definitely has used my kids Every step of the way, even now that we're kind of empty nesters, we still have one in college and she's home during the summers or breaks, but pretty much we're empty nesters. Even now, learning to rely on him as a parent because everything has changed. My daughter got married a week ago and I have to learn to let her have her new life with her husband. She has to leave and cleave to him. And I can't speak in the way I did five years ago. Um, I had to start learning that even before they went away to college. We called it the release plan, that we had to prepare our kids so that 
when they did go away, they weren't all of a sudden like, oh, now I have all this freedom. So we had to move towards that freedom by giving them a little bit as time went on and helping build trust and hoping to instill a love for the Lord in them and, and help them to learn to transfer their dependence on us to a dependence on the Lord. That was our goal, not to teach them to be independent, but to to depend on the Lord rather than depending on us. So it sounds great, but learning to now not speak in when I see something or not be, my daughter just got home from her honeymoon and she's sick and not run over there and say, what can I do to help? And recognize that I have to let them work it out. And so every step of the way, I have to lean on the Lord and trust him and ask him to give me direction. The scripture that I took to heart when we started homeschooling is one that I continue every step of the way. It says, it's Isaiah forty two sixteen. It says, I will lead the blind in the way in ways they have not known and paths they have not known. I will guide them. I will make the darkness as light before them and the rough places smooth. These are the things that I do and I do not forsake them. And obviously that's God speaking. And I have felt blind as a mother every step of the way. And so I need him to lead me and I need to recognize that my identity is not in being a mom or being a women's ministry director or being a pastor's wife. My identity is being a child of God. And that's the only thing that's never going to change. Wow. I think so many of us will relate to feeling blind in whatever (laughs) phase we're in right now. I relate to the mom. Yeah. I always used to say you dream of being a mom and then you become one and you feel like a failure pretty much the rest of your life. And now a brief message from our sponsor. Layman Property Management is this episode's sponsor. I can't say thank you enough to this reputable company. Layman Property Management offers over 750 apartment homes in 11 different locations throughout Pekin, Illinois. Whatever price range you may be looking for, whatever apartment style you want to call home, Layman Property Management will have the place for you. Operating in Pekin for over four decades, they've developed the name associated with selection, service, and value. They offer townhomes with quiet settings off the busy routes or spacious apartments on the edge of town. They have locations in the buzzing downtown if that's what you prefer, or apartments with attached mini storage sheds of all sizes. They truly have every area of Pekin covered. Find out why so many Pekin residents have called a layman property their home over the years. The friendly staff, many whom work together now for 20 years or more, will make sure you are not disappointed. Find out more about them at MidwestShelters.com or call their leasing office today at 309-346-4159. You can also like them on Facebook at Lehman Property Management Company. That's even encouraging in an odd way that you're still learning even as your children have left the nest. Mm -hmm. And looking back to the times that they were with you, does anything stand out or maybe a lesson that you taught your daughters you could share with us? Yeah. So my oldest daughter, Megan, was the type that if you say this is the line, don't cross the line, she would go as close to the line as possible and kind of look at you like this line. And (laughs) my other daughter was like, oh, if that's the line, I'm five feet the other direction. I'm not going anywhere near that line. But Megan was a little bit of a challenge. And 
So I remember I was riding my bike one day and I was praying about it and I was saying, Lord, she just isn't listening to me. I don't know what to do. And I don't hear God audibly, but I just heard, I guess in my heart, the Lord say, well, why should you expect her to listen to you when you don't listen to me? And I was like, but it's so hard. (laughs) I, I can't do it without your help. And then immediately the scripture came to my mind from John 15 that says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I was like, yeah, I can't do it. So how is it that I've been expecting her to do it without the Lord's strength? I haven't taught her to ask the Lord for help. I've just disciplined her and expected behavior modification, which without heart change, that means nothing. It's like a a Nerf ball that you squeeze. But as soon as they're away from you, the Nerf ball opens up and they're just going to be who they were. And so we have to go after heart change, even with our kids. And so I got back from the bike ride and I... My daughter was sitting with my husband up in our bed. She had just woken up and climbed into bed with him. And I said, Megan, I need to apologize to you. I have been expecting you to behave me just in your own strength, but I can't even do that in my own strength. And so I showed her the verse in John fifteen five, and we had a plant, a philodendron in our room. And I said, okay, we're going to pull one of these leaves off of this plant and we're going to set it right next to it and we're going to see if if it turns green or stays green or turns black or what happens and and so every day we would go and look and it's not part of the branch it's separated from the branch but it's still sitting next to it and we would look and it wasn't changing it was staying green and like it was about two weeks later Now, I kill plants so easily. I couldn't believe it took so long. (laughs) About two weeks after that, there was just this little dot in the plant or in the leaf. And we looked at it and then still kept coming back. And it took about two months before that leaf turned completely black. And I said, you know what, Megan? This is an even bigger lesson for me because we can think that we're doing just fine because we still look good on the outside. But we're not getting any better, and our heart will turn black eventually. And so it's really, really important that we stay close to the Lord, no matter how it looks right now. And she's never forgotten that. And honestly, one other thing that happened, this wasn't me, this was my husband. It was Easter. She was five years old, and she had just kind of been in a yucky mood all morning and we had gone to church and we came back and she was still being naughty and we didn't spank a lot but this was one time where he said Megan I want you to go up to your room and I'm going to be up there in a little bit and she said am I going to get a spanking and he said we're going to talk about it so he waited a little bit and he went up there and he said you know what Megan this is Easter this is the day that we celebrate that Jesus rose again because he gave himself for us. And so I'm not going to spank you today. I want you to spank me. And she started to cry. And she's like, Daddy, I can't spank you. And he said, Honey, you need to see what Jesus did for you. And he said, I want you to spank me as hard as you can. And she finally, after some coaxing, she spanked him, but it wasn't hard. And he said, It didn't hurt, Megan. You need to spank me hard. And so Um, she just broke down crying and she spanked him really hard and then she fell in his arms and he held her and he said this is what Jesus did for us 
and she was completely a different person the rest of the day. But even today, if you were to ask her about that, she she's 21 years old and she remembers that and what a huge impact it had on her to know that God took her punishment. And you can't see now I'm tearing up just hearing <laughs> that. It's so powerful. Are you aware of our newly launched Patreon? If you want an opportunity to access additional podcasts and other freebies, please check out our website, thesavvysauce.com, and click on our Patreon tab. For as little as $2 per month, you can unlock some of these freebies as you support our work at The Savvy Sauce. If you want to keep listening for free, we totally understand, and we simply ask that you share this episode with a friend. It should take you less than 10 seconds, and this grassroots approach is the best way to spread the savvy sauce throughout the world. Each one of you plays an important part. Thanks for participating. So Jana, now as a parent of adults who are, like you said, pretty much out of the house, one who still comes back in the summers, how are you growing spiritually in this season? I guess I'm going to sound like a broken record. I spend time with the Lord every day. I really work to not compartmentalize him so that this is my time with you, Lord, and now I'll let you know if I need you again. But he's the center. I think one of the biggest things is I have to recognize that my identity is in him and in nothing else and no one else. And learning that, I mean, for a long time I was a homeschooling mom, and now I'm not a homeschooling mom. And right now I'm a pastor's wife, but there's going to be a day where he's not going to be pastor anymore. And And so I have to learn to lean on him. So one thing that God has done over the years is just kind of amazing. When I was pregnant with my oldest, Megan, I found out that my liver and kidneys weren't working properly. And um, I almost died with her. And so I was in the hospital, which she was five weeks early. She was fine. Everything worked out great. But um, I was in the hospital, and the pastor that married Tim and I, who was from his home church, came to visit us, visit me in the hospital. And he said, you know, it's just like the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, we will serve the Lord no matter what. Even if he doesn't save us, we're going to serve him and worship him. And I was like, leave my room. (laughs) I wanted to throw something at him. I want my baby to be okay and I want to live. And I, you know, but I didn't say a word to him. I just looked at him, but I'm like, where's the closest object that I can throw at him? (laughs) And then, um, when I got pregnant with my second daughter, they said that most likely I wouldn't have the same thing happen, but it did, but it wasn't as severe. And the week that I found out, actually the day that I found out that I had the same problem with her. I was in a Bible study, and we were studying this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I was like, okay, it's going to be okay. (laughs) And so then, um, fast forward to five years ago, uh, my husband was diagnosed with a benign brain tumor that was affecting his hormones, and he was like a 95-year-old man. All of his hormones were collapsing, and uh, he was starting to go blind because it was p- pushing up against his optic chiasm. And uh, he got up in front of the church to tell them that he was going to have to have surgery. He found out on his birthday that he had the tumor, and two weeks later he was having surgery to have it removed. And he got up in front of the church and he said, it's the same words that Matt Chandler said about his brain tumor. My God can, my God will, and even if he doesn't, I will worship him, which is the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. And 
I was like, but Lord, I'm not ready to say, and even if he doesn't. And I, I was like, Lord, just my God can and my God will. Let's go with that. And he did get through the surgery and he was fine. And um, they thought they had gotten at least most of it. But um, about a year later, we found out, or I guess two years later, we found out that it had grown back and it was almost to the size that it was the first time. And so it had to be taken out pretty quickly. And he got up in front of the church and he said, my God can, my God will, and even if he doesn't, I will worship him. And at that point, I was able to say, yes, that's where I am. And so in December, almost three years after, we found out that the tumor is growing back and he will be having surgery again in April to have it removed. And we are still in a place where we can gladly say, my God can, my God will, and even if he doesn't, we will worship him. So I think God's taken us through enough that I realized that he's not going to leave our side when things are hard. He's going to let us go through some hard times, and we don't understand that because he has the power to stop it. But he also will walk through every step of the way with us. And when I look at what he's done in my life, not to mention what he's done in my girls' lives and in my husband's life, but just for my life, teaching me that my God can, and he will, and even if he doesn't, I can worship him because he is still my strength, and he is still my salvation, and he is still going to walk through every step of the way with me and be my peace. Wow. that transparency is just beautiful. And I think something that each of us can do today, no matter where we're at listening to this podcast or where it finds us, God works outside of time and we can all be praying and lifting up you and Tim in this process. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Looking back, what do you wish that you would have done in all of these seasons? Yeah, I wish I would have laid down pride. Truly, if there's anything that I could get rid of in my life, it would be pride. <laughs> I think that my pride got me into trouble because when you are proud, you push people away. I would defend myself rather than looking necessarily at what's true. But when you're proud, you think that it is true. And so God has used all of the experiences that I've been through over the years to continue to humble me, and he's still working on that in me. I'm thankful that I'm not as prideful and proud as I was 20 years ago, but there's still he still has some work to do. But if I could remove that, I think it would have saved me and others a lot of heartache. Mm. Yeah, that's such a insidious sin that we maybe aren't aware of in ourselves, mm -hmm. and I definitely relate. Yeah. I remember Beth Moore had this poem that she wrote about pride where it's um, all these things, all I will damage you in all of these different ways. And at the very end, she said, but don't worry, if you stick with me, you'll never know. Wow. Uh, because the person who's proud, they think it's everybody else. And so learning to recognize that I need to deal with my own crud and not just point the finger at others. And turning it on a positive side, as you look back at all these seasons, what are you so glad that you did then that you're reaping the benefits of now? Yeah. 
I am so glad that I never turned away from the Lord. That that truly is what I can be thankful for. I'm so glad that I had a husband who never gave up on me, that never walked away from our marriage, or he's always stuck in there. And when we would get into fights, which we are pretty good fighters, which I don't recommend, he would never let it go, like going days without talking or anything. We're going to get it resolved, and I'm so grateful for that. But what I'm most grateful is that God gave me the strength to keep going back to Him. No matter what I didn't believe, no matter how much I struggled, I believed that if I wasn't following Him exactly as His Word said, it was because my heart was wrong and not because His Word was wrong. And so I continued to pursue, and gratefully He continued to draw near to me love it. And the truth and the scripture you've shared, it's just been a treasure today. And we're going to end on a fun note, as we always do. We're called savvy for a reason, because savvy means practical knowledge or discernment. So Jana, as our final question today, what is your savvy sauce? Okay, well, my first thought is, what's the one thing that you want to go after pick one small thing to do rather than trying to make some drastic change in your life as an overall statement. But because I have such a love for the word and I believe that God reveals so much to us in Psalm 19, it says that his word enlightens us and it brings joy to our heart and it makes us wise. And just this huge list of things that God does through his word. So I would say, start to memorize scripture. And there is an app that you can get on your phone. There are many apps, I'm sure, but there's one called Verses. And every morning while I'm making my tea, I have a list of verses that I'm memorizing. And I just, while I'm making my tea, I'm not a coffee drinker, but if you make coffee, you could do that too. I just go through, it takes about five minutes, and I just go through scripture on this Verses app that I'm learning to memorize. And it starts by having you first tap to reveal the verses, the words, and then listen to it, and then fill in blanks. And it's called word bank to where you fill in blanks for words. And it's for each level, it takes more words out. And then you type it out the beginning of each word, just type the first letter and it puts the word in. And so I've memorized quite a bit of scripture doing that. Um, And then every once in a while, I'll go back and go over scriptures that I've memorized. But what amazes me as I'm memorizing scripture is verses that I think I know, that I've had memorized. I'll realize a facet of the scripture that I hadn't caught by just reading it, even if I I knew it really well, even if I had it memorized, going over it, there, something sticks out at me that the Lord wants to reveal to me, that it's not like taking it out of context or anything, but the principles of Scripture are true no matter what, but the application to our lives changes based on what we're going through. And so when I'm going through different Scriptures, I just see facets of them that I hadn't caught before. And so I would say pick an app from your phone. We're so fortunate. I'm 
to have apps that we can put on and technology today to, that will help us with some of these things. And so I would say, get that Verses app and start memorizing scripture one little bit at a time. Awesome. That's amazing. Great idea. Something we can download right now. And this time has just been so helpful to me and I hope to everybody listening. So thank you for your time and thanks for coming today. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners and God is perfect and holy so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10:9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.